We're continuing our sermon series. That's a short one. Um, It's a three-part sermon series, and this is part two. And we're talking about salty Christians and how we wade into conflict in Christian fellowship. You know, I want to say this morning that um, this is a difficult uh, subject to be broaching related to conflict, isn't it? But isn't it so important at this time of so many divisions that we go right into the Word of God and we look at what Jesus said on uh, occasion today about how we deal with conflict within the Christian fellowship or Christian community. When we're talking about salty people, let us remember we're talking about uh, people that are somewhat of a challenge or maybe our relationship has become somewhat of a challenge. So maybe it's not just salty people, maybe it's salty relationships that we're talking about, especially this morning. You know, the famous Will Rogers was once asked, what is wrong with the world? And he said, people. Of course, he was a humorist and being humorous in making that statement, but there is some truth. The relationships are complicated, and some of the problems in our world, in fact, many of the problems in our world have to do with how we deal with relationships. You know, when all the cynics have had their say about humanity, I want to still say we in Christian fellowship, in Christian community, should be those who still believe in the power of relationships when God and the Holy Spirit is involved in bringing about those relationships to be fruitful and uh, nourishing to our spirits and to our souls. You know, with all of the flaws and shortcomings, we're not hopeless. In fact, the Christian fellowship, the Christian community upholds the best of what we're called to be. On our mountaintops and in our valleys, we tend to seek and to find the company of one another in the church. On occasions of joy, we seldom celebrate alone. We are inclined to gather together for birthdays, weddings, and various happy milestones. And in the church, we see that accentuated. And when sorrow comes, When there is grief or pain, we do not move through these times by ourselves. You know, I think that in our joys, we invite others to come and to share in them. And in our sorrows, others come and help us in the midst of those difficult times. To help us to bear those burdens that come our way. And of course... For many other reasons and in many other ways, we Christians enter into the lives of one another in Christian fellowship and Christian community. This is the joy of our fellowship. Now, this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said so profoundly in his little book called Life Together. We're called to a special life together and to share that life together with the world. Now for the tough part, woe to the preacher or to anyone in the Christian community. If we think just because we have been there for another in a time of joy or in a time of need, 
that that person will always love you and always be part of the community. That's not an easy word to hear, but it is true. You know, I had a professor in seminary once who wisely and prophetically said this to our entire class. Uh, we were studying congregational care or pastoral care and counseling, and that professor said, your best pastoral care with the person in your congregation will not be like putting money in a bank and drawing interest on it. You will find that you can make investments over and over, time and again, and that does not mean that one day, to your shock and dismay, that person may decide to withdraw it all, put it somewhere else as they move out and move on beyond you and your community. And you may or may not ever know what went wrong. You know, I was in seminary a long time ago, and I still remember how poignant that was. And, and then when he said, these withdrawals will be the most painful experience that you will have in ministry. You know, we are in the midst of one of our most divisive times in our history as a nation. And the church in the U.S. is not immune to this divisiveness. In fact, we are at times at the heart of the divide. And even among those who contribute to the divisions. And we as the church need to check that. We, we need to go back to our foundations, back to our source, the Bible, and what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ teaches us about conflict and divisions. Friends, some with whom you used to see smiling in the pew beside you and feel the warmth of their hugs or the comfort of their voices, maybe even in a study group or maybe even in a Sunday school class, may not be coming back after COVID-19 is completely in our past, in our rearview mirror. You know, I attribute this disruption in the body of Christ, not just to COVID-19, but to the larger action of the deceiver. Martin Luther said, when God is building a church, the devil builds a chapel. And another said, Satan doesn't need to work on people outside the church. They are already nearly in the door. It's the people in the church, the Christians, that Satan finds a place to stir and to persuade. You know, some um, of our Christian sisters and brothers will not be coming back because, until we quit wearing masks. And some aren't coming back because we're not all wearing masks. Some aren't coming back because they like church in pajamas. Some aren't coming back because they like Sundays now without church at all. George Barna said that uh, about half, 50-something 50, 50 percent of millennials that had been polled had quit going to church altogether or participating in live streaming right now. 
How do we get them back? You know, some aren't coming back because they got mad at something that was posted on Facebook or Twitter or or other social media when we had plenty of time to post during COVID, right? And, And for that, I'm guilty as some of you may even can confess today as well. Some are gone because they didn't like the music on the live stream, Jimmy, or the preaching from the pulpit, or a prayer that was offered. Some have moved on because the church said too much about race while the country seemed to be torn apart regarding race relations. And some are not coming back because we said we didn't say enough about race. Some aren't coming back because, well, you know, uh, they don't like something or someone or a conflict that has taken place that is not resolved. George Barna's Barna's research group uh, said something startling regarding these COVID times and people and where they are with their churches. That, that we've been able to live stream and to tap into other churches. And, and that, that, that perhaps as many as 40% of people who are in your congregation are looking elsewhere. Maybe to even connect to the community. And then he said the good news for you is that some of that 40% are looking at you. But is that really good news for Christian fellowship, Christian community? You know, one of the things that I like best about the New Testament, uh, especially the letters of Paul, but also the words of Jesus, they can be very practical to us. Sometimes Christians disagree in the congregation of believers. You know, you get to thinking about the letters of Paul making up nearly a third of the New Testament. And most of those letters have to do with practical advice related to conflicts. Sometimes we Christians, we, we hold grudges against one another. And the scripture um, says that we must never tolerate any situation which divides us. It's not only for our spiritual sake, but it's the message that we have to the larger world. That we're called to a different standard. We're called to a different understanding of relationship. We're called to to be Christ in our midst and in the world. You know, it's very true today that the behavior of church members on the very issue of conflict... makes Christianity to the outside world either repulsive or attractive. It's either relevant or it seems to be irrelevant. It isn't a matter that Christians are perfect and that we're without conflict. That's not the issue. We are humans. The issue is how we as Christians deal with conflicts and and how we as Christians show love and work through our times of struggle one with another. There will always be quarrels, mistakes, differences of opinions, disappointments with preachers and councils, hurt feelings, 
bent pride and loss of faith. It's the idea that Christians can resolve these conflicts as no other fellowship can that Jesus puts before us today. So this message this morning, I hope, has some practical advice for all of us. We might want to take down a note or two. Camus, the Duke of Florence, had a saying that indicated the limitations of faith. And he said, You shall read that we are commanded to forgive our enemies, but you never read that we are commanded to forgive our friends. Okay, maybe that is true, but maybe a little bit of a stretch. And we spend a lot of time in the pulpit talking about how we are to love our enemies, right? And and talking about how we're to pray for our enemies, right? The teachings of Jesus about turning the other cheek. When in actuality, right there in the pew side by side, or maybe a pew ahead of you, are Christians who hold grudges, hang on to petty hurts, refuse to forgive and love each other, even within the fellowship. There are people who gather here every week who have issues with someone else, a relationship that needs to be mended, practices that Jesus upholds and shares with us that we need to engage in. And and we need to know that when people have these issues of conflict in their lives, they miss the joy of what is Christian fellowship and Christian community. And, And they hold on to sometimes an immense sadness regarding those relationships. Here's what Jesus advised to mend a broken relationship within our family of God. Jesus said, if a brother or a sister sins against you, go and tell him or her his fault, her fault between you and him or her alone. You know, the first rule that Jesus gives is that if anyone has wronged us, we should immediately put that complaint into words. Make note of that. One of the biggest mistakes that we can make is not to voice our hurt. Have you ever heard, as I've heard my, um, for many years, second grade teacher wife say, use your words. You know, it feels better when she says that to a second grader than when she says it to me, right? But that's what Jesus is saying. First, use your words. Write what it is or or speak what it is that, that has you upset. Jesus knew that just to brood about our hurts can be fatal to our spiritual life. And a lot of times just voicing such a hurt can help. Jesus knew that. Many times just putting our disgruntlement into words will help us put it into a proper perspective. It may even seem trivial and a lot less important 
than it was at the time we, we were experiencing that hurt. We just must not suffer our hurt in a sort of brooding silence. Do you hear it? And secondly, we are advised that in person is best. How we need to hear that today. Because it's so easy to communicate with others not in person. If we have a difference with someone, Jesus said face-to-face, not Facebook. Jesus said speak to one another uh, together. One-on-one, as difficult as that may sound, we, we know the truth of that. We know the hurt of a, of a tweet or the hurt of a, 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 a letter or, or a card that, that, or an email that lays it all out but doesn't really, doesn't really have us address this person-to-person need. Humans are in, who are in Christ can deal with each other differently, being aware of our own shortcomings And still having God's forgiveness makes us more compassionate. For all of us know that we have been the ones who have misused this um, ability to be one-on-one. We're the ones who may have sniped at someone or tweeted at someone when it would have been so much healthier to speak in person. Then Jesus said, if he listens to you, you have gained a brother or a sister. If that one listens to you, you've gained a brother or a sister. I want to tell you that it's hard to convince another if you're doing it at a distance. Our purpose is not to humiliate or condemn But our purpose always in Christian fellowship is to gain a sister or a brother. To mend that relationship for the sake of the church and for your sake as well. And the third step that Jesus outlines. If things haven't worked so far in the mending of a relationship, it's time to take this issue up with other Christians. Jesus puts it this way. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. You know, in this case, you don't take others along with you to prove wrongdoing but rather to help with reconciliation. In other words, we don't seek to bring others into the picture of a conflict so that they will help us make our point that we're right. We seek trusted friends who will listen and help in the mending of the relationship will in essence be the word of Christ in the midst of a conflict. It sometimes is so that we just can't say or do 
the right thing to resolve a conflict on our own. There are always those few saints who can work reconciliation and help us to see ourselves and the conflict and the other differently. You know what Jesus called these people? Peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. The fourth step, according to Jesus, is if all that fails, we must take our personal troubles to the Christian fellowship. It is true that within the Christian fellowship, within the church, if it is Christian, if it's Christian, if it's made up of the followers of Christ, conflicts can be resolved. We, we don't have to go into legalism, but into the forgiving body of Christ with our conflicts. What Jesus means here is this. It is in an atmosphere of Christian prayer, Christian love, and Christian fellowship that personal relationships may be righted, may be mended. And, and that's what we should always be about. Praying and loving folk into health in their relationships. And finally, the fifth step says this, if he or she refuses to listen even to the church, let him or her be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. You know, the advice to treat the other as a Gentile or a tax collector, if all of these things fail, we need to understand what Jesus meant and who Jesus was and is. The first impression here is to give up and to treat that person as someone that we have no longer any respect for, no longer have any time for, as a Gentile or a tax collector. William Barclay, the, the great teacher and commentator, said that we need to be reminded of how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors. It's Jesus who's speaking. You, you remember that Matthew and Zacchaeus, they were tax collectors. And, and think of all the Gentiles who came to be Christian through the ministry of Paul. Barclay said, it may be that Jesus was saying something like this. When you have done all this, when you have given the sinner every chance... And when he or she remains stubborn, you may think that one is no better than a tax collector or a Gentile. Well, you may be right, but I have not found tax collectors or Gentiles hopeless. That's what Barclay's saying, Jesus said. My experience of them is that they too have a heart that can be touched. And there are many of them like Matthew and Zacchaeus who have become my best friends 
even if the person is like a tax collector or a Gentile, you can still win him or her as I have done. So the scripture does not say to give up on relationships. It does not say give up on another. It tells us that Jesus finds no person, no relationship hopeless in Christian fellowship. Furthermore, Jesus said, you are the salty people. Uh, You're the challenge. But remember, you're the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. Friends, we will have conflicts in the church. You will have conflicts with others, even other Christians. But we need to go to the source, the source of all goodness, all reconciliation, all mending of relationships, Jesus himself. I remind you, put your complaint into words. Use your words. See him or her in person. Person to person is always best. And if that doesn't work, counsel with other wise Christians. Seek peacemakers. That doesn't work. Make use of the Christian community that prays and loves no matter what. Bring it to the Christian body. And finally, never give up. Never set limits to forgiveness. Amen.